You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, it is officially game day. And if you know the theme that we've been pushing here on this particular podcast, then you probably have a pretty good idea what I'm going to say next. Allow yourself what? Allow yourself to enjoy it. Again, as I always say, fan how you want a fan. That's your deal. But I think last week was kind of big for me in two areas. Number one, when I got to fully immerse myself in the toxicity of everything, and last year was pretty bad too and pretty toxic or whatever, but it was a little bit better because you look at it and go, yeah, but, you know, I mean, Rodgers is dead, da, 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 and, you know, every, everything's, bottom line is everything's still fine. Like, we've got a good offensive line. The wide receivers, especially Christian Watson, look good. Like, the defense is solid if we just had a better play. You know, you, you, you talk yourself into being okay with it, and then this year you look at it and go, this might be a full teardown and rebuild. And it's so miserable, and it's so upsetting, and it's so, you know, everybody's so angry, and everybody's fighting about things, and, and you realize how like minor, like again, the Josh Myers thing is, it's like, it's such a minuscule thing, but it's such a heated, angry discussion. So unnecessarily. And then we had last week and granted last week did not help us as far as our draft pick. And it may just be a complete fluke and we're going to get the crap beat out of us. And that's going to keep us from getting the number one or the number two pick. And instead we have the number seven pick and now did it, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is again, watching that game felt like when spring hits and the sun comes out and you feel heat and you feel the sun's rays pouring down on you and you're like, oh, I didn't realize how bad I needed this. And it's like, well, duh, dude, you're a Packer fan. Of course you feel better when the Packers are winning and look good. Of course you enjoy watching Jordan Love play well. Of course you love watching touchdowns and cheering and watching the Lambeau leap and high-fiving your son. Why would you not like that? And again, we can analyze it after the game or, or, you know, on Monday, you know, give yourself Sunday. And on Monday, we can look at it and go, okay, well, you know, it, it dropped us one spot so far in the draft. On the positive side, I feel better about the coach. I feel better about the quarterback. I feel better about the wide receivers. I feel better about the offensive line. I feel better about the defense. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a trade-off to have all those positives, but we dropped one spot in the draft. <laughs> like, gee, I don't know which one is, uh, you know, the positives and the negatives here. It's quite a, it's, it's a tough call. So that would be my plea to you, whether you're a always positive fan and I'm wasting my breath talking to you because freaking like, what are you talking about? I always root for them anyways. Or on the hyper negative train where you call yourself a realist, but really you're just angry all the time. Cheer as hard as you can for the Packers. Forget about the draft. Forget about your hatred of 
Gutekunst or Love or Myers or Joe Barry or whoever it is you hate. Stop hating them today. Not today. Remember from that scene from the office? It always comes back to the office. St. Patrick's Day and Ryan and Kelly are arguing and Meredith comes out and says, stop fighting. I just want one day with no fighting, no kids, just one perfect day. And they're like, Meredith, don't you have a kid? And Kelly's like, yeah, where's your kid? She just says, nope, not today. Those that don't know, she is a redheaded Irish alcoholic. So this is like her, the biggest day of the year for her. That's, that's the mantra. Nope, not today. Joe Barry sucks. Nope, not today he doesn't. That's my defensive coordinator right there. Now, don't get me wrong. Something bad's going to, like, Jordan Love's going to overthrow a guy, and I'm going to just blur out, you freaking, nothing changes, does it? Drake May, baby! But, you know, I'm just saying, try to tamp it down. It's my team, my quarterback, my defensive coordinator, my center. Cheer for them. Root for them. And then when it's done, we'll come back and piss and moan and all that stuff. It's fine. But it's fun, man. Just enjoy it. Get excited. Root for a win. I know it's always conflicting. Don't be conflicted today. I don't know. Should I root against them? Should I root for them? Root for them. On Sunday, you root for them. On Wednesday, we'll weigh the odds. Does that sound fair? Try it. I'm just asking you to try it. I'm, I, I, and as I do many times, I'm talking to myself. I'm, this is a pep talk for myself. Today, I am 100,000% a Packer fan, and I want them to win. I want them to beat the living crap out of the Steelers. I want Bears fans and Vikings fans and Lions fans to cry and weep as they watch the absolute desolation of an entire franchise, a proud and storied Steelers franchise in their own home to be embarrassed. That's what I want. I want the defense to do exactly what it did last week and embarrass this team. I want the offense to overcome a strong defense, our tackles to absorb these pass rushers, for Zach Tom to truly shine and show that he is one of the premier tackles to be taken seriously. I want Jordan Love to emerge on the national stage and realize he's gotten better every week over the last two weeks and will continue to get better and has an absolute breakout game against a premier defense, carving things up. I want Christian Watson's name put back on everybody else's tongue in a super not creepy way. I want people to remember the name Luke Musgrave. I want to start hearing, as I go back and watch these different programs, I want to start hearing national people, not Packer people, national people saying that Luke Musgrave guy, he's going to be a problem. Rashawn Gary has not been getting the appreciation he deserves. He is a premier pass rusher in this league. Carrington Valentine, man, that team really knew they had something here. Now we start to understand why Razul was traded away. This guy is special. Is, is some of this stuff stupid? Yeah, dude, I'm stupid. I'm a fan. Fanatic. There's nothing rational about the word fanatic. They're very different words. Be a fan today. Be a fanatic. Let me look it up. What does fanatic mean? Here we go. This is the perfect definition. A person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, especially for an extreme religious or political cause. This is a religious cause. Excessive, massively over the top. Single-minded. I don't have any like, yeah, but maybe. Da, da, da. Nope. One single-minded goal here. Zeal, which is defined as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. This is this is all wrapped up in the word fan. Are you? I'm, I'm a fan. You listen. We say fan how you want a fan, and I think that's fair. 
it's it's your life. You can do whatever you want. But but there is sort of this counterintuitive belief that I can be a fan of a team and then like you know root against them or piss and moan about them all the time. Like no, fan is short for fanatic. And what does fanatic mean? Excessive, single-minded zeal. I mean, everybody is pretty excessive, but single-minded is is very specific. And so is zeal when you're talking about heading toward a a. a I mean it. it it goes in line with single-minded. There's a single-minded goal. The question is, though, what is your goal? Are you a fan of the Packers? Or are you a fan of, I hate Gutekunst? I mean, I understand that they can overlap. I think it would be beneficial if Gutekunst went, but is that your single focus? On game day, are you thinking, I want my team to beat the crap out of everybody? Or are you thinking, I want this team to look stupid so I can go on social media and talk about how bad Brian Gutekunst is? That's the, that is the very, very well-defined line in the sand. And you know the answer to that. And I think there are very, you know, actual fans that want there to be a win. And then when there isn't, then they lash out at all these other people, which fulfills the definition quite fine. Excessive, single-minded, zealous. I mean, we're, we're all religious zealot, <laughs> in a sense. It is funny, too, because I talk about how there's so many parallels between NFL fans and, like, political people and i think we understand why because they're both fanatical so they 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 think the same way they act the same way they talk the same way they argue the same way because it's the same it is a religious fanaticism whether it's a team or a political party or a political individual that's why there's so many parallels and so again what i would say and i i don't mean to go on a tirade about you know you have to be a fan this way i know it sounds that way I'm not going to be that way. There's going to be times where I'm going to be like, you know what? Let's just freaking lose this thing. I don't know. But again, my my whole thing, and this is pointed at me, but also I feel like some other people, we should try this together. On Sunday, we are very strictly single-minded zealots about one thing, and that is we want the Packers to win, period. And then we fire people on Monday. <laughs> or Sunday night for packing it after dark, I guess. Anyways, um, intro monologue complete. Right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers are three-point favorites over the Green Bay Packers. And with that, a lot of the betting is still on the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. The percentage of bets, at least at this website, they have it at 72% are betting on the Steelers at minus three. And 66% of the money is on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, this is not hard, written-in-stone kind of a thing because they don't have access to every single bet that is being made at every single location. But what they have access to would seem to indicate that most betters, and this is probably mostly the public, which doesn't necessarily carry a lot of weight, but whatever, is heavily betting the Steelers. There are also a couple places that do not have them as three-point favorites, but unfortunately it goes the other direction. It's at three-and-a-half-point favorites. So points bet, um, Caesars, and uh, uh, Bet Rivers, whatever that is, they have, they have the line set at actually minus three-and-a-half. PFF is even less interested in supporting the Packers, so they have, for example, the market, and then where they have it at using their data, um, they have the market line set at minus three, which again is pretty much the consensus. They have it at three, uh, 3.7 points in favor of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Some of the metrics that they have here, the power ranking overall, they have the Steelers 16th, the Packers 19th. Power ranking the defense, they have the Steelers 14th, the Packers 18th. Power ranking the offense, they have the Steelers 14th and the Packers 20th, which I know, again, sounds surprising, but that may have to do with, as I said, there are certain things that seem to be getting quite a bit better. 
uh, strength of schedule played. And this is this is a big part of it. And this is where a lot of people are looking at it. And they're like, hey, we've got you know a defense that's really, really good. Look at how many points they've given up. The Packers have had one of the easier schedules this season. The Steelers 14th, the Packers 28th. That's why PFF and DVOA and all that stuff, despite the low points given up, well, th- there's two problems. Number one is a lot of the overall doesn't take into account that we've had a bye week and some teams haven't. So if you actually look at like how many points given up per game, the Packers drop. But also if you look at the opponents, it drops it even further. But anyways, and they've got a couple other things that are not massively useful, uh, useful but uh, EPA per run. Packers negative 0.15, Steelers negative 0.11. Now running the ball is generally a negative EPA, but Packers are worse than Steelers running the ball. EPA per pass, however, the Packers are actually positive 0.02, which is not massively positive, but it's positive. The Steelers negative 0.1. Then they have the quarterbacks compared. Uh, Jordan Love is a 68.4 grade. Kenny Pickett 67.9, very similar. Passer rating in a clean pocket. Jordan Love, 91.1. Is that real? When did that happen? My Lord. Uh, Kenny Pickett, 83.8. Passer rating under pressure, however. Jordan Love, 51.4. Kenny Pickett, 77.6. Big time throw percentage. Jordan Love, 2.88% of his passes are big time throws. Kenny Pickett, 3%. Turnover worthy plays. Jordan Love, 2.56. Kenny Pickett, 2.25. So Pickett has, he's better under pressure. He has more big-time throws and less turnover-worthy plays. Their quarterback power rating, or power rating rank, they have Kenny Pickett 19th and Jordan Love 23rd. They've also got a win probability here. They have a uh, the Packers at 37.9% chance that they win, Steelers 61.8. So, um, you know, again, I mean, look, Packers are underdogs. That's sort of the bottom line. Not massive underdogs. Again, very winnable game. I mean, it's tough because the only thing that's sort of premier would be the Steelers defense. Otherwise, it's sort of a subpar Packers defense, a subpar Packers offense, and a subpar Packers or Steelers offense. You can call one of those really bad if you want. I don't really care which one, but that's kind of the way it it lines up. So here's what I want to do. Let's take a break now. We'll come back. I've got some um, kind of more in-depth statistics about this game that might be interesting to you whether you want to use it for betting purposes or just kind of better understanding the game, things to kind of watch out for. And then um, we'll take a break after that, and then we'll take some calls. But if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can hit me up on Venmo at Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, couple of insights here um, that, you know, again, everything has been sort of negative. Let's look at a couple positive statistics for the Packers in order to beat the Steelers. Number one, and this is kind of two weeks in a row, and last week I said I really want to see the pass rush get going. I don't think it did. I speculated that it's because they leaned on stopping the run because they can't pass and it worked, so whatever, but fine. Um, I'm going to say it again. This is a good game for us to win up front, especially with pass rush. The Steelers have allowed opponents to pressure their quarterbacks on 27% of pass attempts this season, which is the seventh worst in the NFL. The Packers are pressuring quarterbacks on 27% of passing plays, which is the eighth best in the NFL. There needs to be pressure. The Steelers on passing touchdowns per game are the third worst in the NFL. The Packers are the third best in the NFL in not allowing passing touchdowns. Now, again, no Razul, no Jair. That changes the dynamic. There's also no Rudy Ford or, or Darnell Savage. So at least I, I maybe there is. Rudy Ford's questionable. He may play, whatever. But it's I'm just saying, you know, positive stuff. We're keeping it positive. The Steelers have scored 16.6 points per game this season, which is the third worst in the NFL. The Packers have allowed 19.9 points per game, which is the 10th best in the NFL. You say, yeah, but I thought you said it was just because of opponents. Yeah, well, this opponent sucks. So there you go. At home, the Steelers score 15 points per game. That's the fourth worst. Packers have allowed 6.3 points per game on the road since week five, which is the fifth best in the NFL. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) Starting drive position. Steelers are the third worst. Packers are the seventh best. When looking at home, passing yards, they are the seventh worst team in the NFL. That's at home. Packers are the ninth best on the road. Over the course of the season, passing yards. The Steelers are the fifth worst NFL team. The Packers are the ninth best passing defense in yards. Yards per carry, the Steelers are 10th worst at just 3.3 yards. I'm kind of shocked that's 10th worst. Packers have allowed 3.6 yards per carry, which is actually the 7th best, which again, I'm shocked. (laughs) Now, if you go look that up, it's like, no, they're 13th with 4.0. This is specifically to running backs. So wide receivers and quarterback rushes, are excluded from this. So the Packers' ability to stop running backs has actually not been horrible this year, with a couple exceptions, obviously Atlanta Falcons with Bijan and whatnot, but if you keep it to running backs, they're the seventh best. Red zone scoring touchdown. Steelers are the second worst team. Packers defense defending in the red zone, eighth best. First half, which we know the Packers struggle, so do the Steelers. The Steelers have scored 5.3 points per game in the first half since week five, which is the second worst in the NFL. In that same time span, the Packers are tied for the fourth best in the NFL. So expect no points in the first half. (laughs) Total yards from scrimmage. This season, Steelers, second worst in the NFL. Packers defense, 10th best. Touchdowns to wide receivers. Steelers are the seventh worst. Packers are the seventh best at stopping that. Steelers. In close games this season, have gone three and out 24% of their drives, which is the fifth worst. Packers have forced three and outs on 25% of opponent drives in close and late situations this season, seventh best. The Packers have a third down conversion rate of 43% since week five. That is the seventh best in the NFL. The Steelers' defense 
has allowed a third down conversion rate of 43%, which is the ninth worst. So you'll notice a lot of those, aside from the third down conversion rate, were their offense against our defense. Obviously, that's where our edge stands because their offense is one of the worst in football right now. So that's where a lot of this needs to come through, right? The the defense needs to continue to do what they've been doing. Everyone's excited because they haven't scored a lot of points. Great. Keep doing that. Do not let them score a lot of points. Then it's on the offense to try to overcome this defense. Anyways, let's uh, get to our final break because I want to uh, get to some phone calls. We got um, 11 left, but I haven't recorded Packnet After Dark yet. So we'll get through as many as we can. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, Ryan. It's uh, Aaron from Eau Claire. I was just thinking about the whole tush-push thing, the penalties that uh, have been starting to be enforced for offsides, uh, offensive linemen. Um, as you were talking about in your podcast about some of the penalties that were called yesterday, um, I guess, I guess I'm kind of confused. What's so, what's so controversial about the tush push? Um, why are people trying to get it banned? It seems to me like you're just pushing the quarterback across the, across the, uh, line to go so what's the problem I don't understand um, I feel like as most plays have some kind of defense you can put against it I mean don't I wonder there's got to be a way that teams can defend against it maybe not a hundred percent of the time but that's every play you know that's why offenses have touchdowns and first downs and get yards because uh you know plays have a chance to succeed i guess so don't you think there's a way to defend that like if teams were given enough time they could find a way like maybe the defense sees that coming and they do their own push and they they get a bunch of people lined up and they push each other against that other push and then you have two people doing the push Uh, That would be funny. You got like the linebacker is pushing the nose tackle. (laughs) Turns into just a straight up rugby scrum. On two sides doing the push against each other. I mean, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird to me. I guess I don't really understand why they're even trying to to uh, outlaw the play. Um, Maybe maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but if so i would greatly enjoy hearing them so anyways thanks yeah i mean as i've mentioned before i i just have not heard a lot of really good arguments about why it should be outlawed um the the whole thing is just well it's too easy to execute and it's like well i don't i i I don't i don't know what i'm trying to look right now how i could even find the data on that um it would have to be what within let's say within a yard so I, I can't guarantee that the, the, the cheek sneak was employed necessarily, as in the quarterback was pushed. But I do have some data on it here. So 100% of the time, it was executed uh, by Will Levis, Russell Wilson, um, Harrison Bryant, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, Deshaun Watson, Jordan Love, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Juszczyk, Andy Dalton, P.J. Walker, and Lamar Jackson. So 13 
different people, including Jordan Love, but it was only attempted two times. And in fact, it's only been attempted more than two times by Kenny Pickett five times and Russell Wilson seven times, and they're at 100%. Jalen Hurts is actually at 91.3%, but there have been 23 attempts, right? So, I mean, it's not even close. Nobody has attempted it more than eight times. So I, I, I don't really know. I mean, that, that has to be a, a piece of it, right? In other words, it's not automatic. It's just automatic for them. And that makes, it, that makes me less inclined to want to do away with it because now it's not a matter of a thing that's impossible to defend. It's a matter of a team that's so good at executing something that they do it. I mean, not, again, it's not even 100%. It's 91.3%. That's 21 first downs on 23 attempts, including a fumble, which was lost. Which again, you know, it's not 100% play. There are things like fumbles. There are also just times you don't get it. But the fact that there are teams that are just not really doing it a ton of times, um, I mean, I can't imagine the Eagles are just, they just happen to be in, you know, one yard situations more often than everybody else. Like, you know, Russell Wilson has only had that happen seven times where he got one yard to go, like second, third, or fourth and one. I would doubt it. I mean, I can look it up right now, but it's not worth it because we all understand that that's not the reality. That's not the situation. So teams are not running it. Why would teams not run it? Because it's not 100%. And again, it goes down from there. Josh Allen is at 87%. Justin Fields, 85.7%. Brock Purdy, 83%. CJ Stroud, 80%. Josh Jobs, 75%. We'll skip a few of these because they're all 75%. Mac Jones, 71%. Uh, Derek Carr, 66%. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo, 60%. Matt Stafford is only 50%, as is Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson, Desmond Ritter, um, and Justin Herbert is at 40%. Trevor Lawrence has only attempted it once. He's at 0%. And Anthony Richardson attempted it once and is at 0%. So 0 for 1 for them. So, And again, I don't know that they necessarily use the cheek sneak, which is to say somebody pushed them from behind. It was a quarterback sneak. I do know that. I do have that verified. But again, it's it's not 100% play, not even for the team that's utilizing it. And the fact that only one team is utilizing it to that degree tells me that it is a skill thing more so than just a, a play that is unfairly 100%. And even then, I don't necessarily know it needs to be erased. Because essentially what you're doing, well, a couple of number the number one reason is it's Who's to say the defenses can't adapt? This is how the NFL works, right? Offenses find a way to beat defenses, and defenses find a way to stop it. Now, maybe over the years and years, we're going to recognize, like, all right, it's impossible to stop, and you can talk about it, whatever. I don't know. But we're, in a sense, kind of making it just nine yards to a first down. Now, that's not necessarily the case. You you can't throw for nine yards, and we'll call it a first down. You have to get to ten. But if you get to nine, you're pretty automatic. But again, there's still fumbles, which are never going to go away and always make it positive. You're going to have people slip. It's never going to be 100%. Mistakes are going to be made. So it's just a high conversion thing. But here's the thing. I'm guessing the QB sneak was always high conversion. It's one yard. I'm guessing if you look at just general run, it's more than 50%. In fact, let's just pick one here. Let's look at uh, inside zone runs when you're talking about less than one attempt. Saquon Barkley, Gus Edwards, Michael Carter, Tony Pollard, Travis Etienne, Raheem Mostert, Kareem Hunt, Taysom Hill, Aaron Jones, James Cook, Miles Sanders, and Derrick Henry all are at 100% conversion rate. In fact, out of 34 different running backs who have attempted that at least two times, because I just put a minimum two attempts, only three out of 34 are less than 50%. 
Jonathan Taylor is at 40%. Kenneth Gainwell is 33%. And Latavius Murray is 25%. That's it. So, I mean, is that unfair? Inside zone runs on fourth or, you know, anything and one? Should we outlaw any play? Should we make it that you have to pass to make it closer to 50-50? I mean, haven't we already acknowledged that football is tilted toward the offense and that was largely done by the NFL pushing the offense? I just, I don't get it. I don't understand the point in it. I really don't. And then, you know, it, it becomes a slippery slope too, where it's like, what exactly is the rule that you can't push people from behind? What about when running backs are running and we got guys pushing? Is that then outlawed? Do we do we then go down that rabbit hole? And do we have some like, you know, because when you add more rules, you're going to have bad calls and you're going to have situations like that where, I mean, it always turns into a little bit of a pushing and shoving thing. You have an offensive lineman run into the running back and now it's a penalty and you lose that run. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I don't, we don't need to go down that road for any reason. Leave it alone. I just don't get it. But anyways, thanks for the call. I, you know, I, I can't really answer your question as to why it's a thing because I also don't know why it's a thing. But um, I'm sure there are people out there that are advocates that can give you a better picture as to what exactly is wrong with it and why it needs to be eradicated from the NFL. But I, I can't give you that information because I have no idea why that needs to be taken out. Hey, Ryan. This is Trucker Bob. Trucker Bob, what's Just up? got into my truck. We're heading for Atlanta. From Atlanta, we're going to go to Jersey, All right. drop down to Richmond, and then from there, we're going cross-country to Seattle. Wow. Anyways, I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm just going to say I'm a bit disappointed in you. First of all, did you just call it a punk cast? How dare you? And But I love your show. So let's play a game called right. Yes or No. Do I keep this? Again, just for the record, I've been watching the Saw movies back-to-back, so cool it with the let's play a game <laughs> i'm disappointed in you and i want to play a game quarterback i or do i not and when we get to the end you say yes or no you turn the thing off say okay. yes or no okay and then i'll reveal to you who the quarterback was okay i think i get and it and i'm only gonna reveal not positive their first season as they were as a starter got it number one this person completed 52.9% of his passes for the year, he had nine TDs and 18 interceptions, and only won one game all season. Would you keep this quarterback, yes or no? Um, I mean, it's a bad season. It kind of depends on the situation, I guess. Um, if Jordan Love ended that way, given the situation that he's in with having started all these uh, games and whatnot, I'd be certainly hesitant, especially if things like completion percentage were a uh, big consideration coming in. And this is sort of the time when we reveal whether or not these issues have been corrected or or not. So it's a bad season, and there's a good chance I'd let them go. I'm sure you're going to say that's like Brett Favre or something, because I saw people talking about Brett Favre's first year sucked and Aaron Rodgers' first year sucked or whatever. But um I, I guess I'll say no. I'll play along with the game, but I mean it's it's not quite that simple, especially if you're talking just actual rookies as opposed to fourth year guys or whatever. But I'll say no, and I'll walk into the trap. If you said no, you just cut Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. Hall See, of uh, first of all, Troy Aikman is a massive outlier. I will say because I remember it was um, I was the one that actually brought that up because it was. 
Who was it? Uh, Homer, I think. He had gone on some kind of a tirade against Jordan. Is like, nobody's ever done this. And I went back and I found Troy. Um, there, there were some other examples of, of bad things, but he wanted something specific. And Troy was, was horrifically bad, like unbelievably bad. Um, but again, if he's a true rookie that you took in his, you're not going to dump him after a year. I don't know his situation. Maybe he sat for three years. I don't know. But um, I here's what I would say. If we drafted a guy and that's what his outcome was, I would 100% be saying on the podcast, let's pretend we're in 1993 or whatever year he started. I have no idea. And that's what he did. I'd be like, this guy ain't the guy. Now, should we get rid of him? Probably not. Because it's actual first year. But anyways. Quarterback, three-time Super Bowl winner. Congratulations. Number two. This guy completed 52.2% of his passes. Not good. Had had eight touchdowns with 13 interceptions. Would you keep him? Yes or no? I don't say no. If you said no, you just cut Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young, who had one Super Bowl win and played two others. Number three. This quarterback completed 59.4% of his passes the first season, had 22 touchdowns with 17 interceptions. He only won four games. Would you keep him? No, I'd I'd kill him. If you said no, you just cut Jim Kelly, who went to four Super Bowls in the Hall of Fame. Here's one of my favorites. This quarterback completed 38% of his passes his first year, had six TDs, 24 interceptions. That has to be somebody from like the 50s. There's no way. Or the 30s. Yes or no? If you said no, you just cut Terry Bradshaw, who yeah, won four Super Bowls. And went to- that was a different era. That was, <laughs> I was going to say, nobody completes anything near that low these days. The Hall of Fame. My last example, he completed 47.5% of his passes his first year. Seven TDs, 14 interceptions. Yes or no? Nope, he's gone. He's out of here. If you said no, you just cut John Elway, who went to five Super Bowls in 2000 and was a Hall of Fame. I'm raining on your negativity parade. Jordan Love is a good quarterback in his first year. Go on to part two. All right, we'll go on to part two. I was thinking about jumping in and and kind of uh, offering my thoughts, but I uh, let's just let's get the full deal here. Boy, getting these things in and this trucker Bob, getting these things in in three minutes is tough, but I'm going to keep trying. I am a retired teacher. When I had a student that was struggling, we had to get him up to grade level. So what you did is you looked at what was he doing right, and you started there as his foundation, and he tried to get the kid back to grade level. That's what teachers do. Now, I want to talk about Jordan Love. There's two things Jordan Love does very well. As you pointed out in one of your previous podcasts, that passes under 10 yards, he completes around almost 70% of his passes and has very few interceptions. Instead of dwelling on his successes, people just center on his failures or his difficulties. So what do we do? We game plan to Love's strengths. We develop game plans to a short passing game. Oh, gee, that's kind of like Drew Brees and Joe Montana. 
you know, West, a version of West Coast, West Coast offense, LaFleur style. Long passes would be greatly reduced. The second thing Jordan Love does well is when you run an up-tempo game, he seems to do much better. Gets the team going, scores points, team moves down the field faster, has fewer penalties. It seems to get him and his team in a groove. Even when they fail, we like seeing the team in field goals or red zone territory. We adjust our game plan to fit Jordan's best two strengths he has shown. We adjust and plan. This last game against the Rams, you could see LaFleur did. We did more to a running game, short passing game, an occasional long pass, and we moved the ball down the field and we scored points. How good is Jordan Love? Let me put it this way. Green Bay is number one. Yes, I said number one in the entire NFL. Get this. Number one in the entire NFL in second-half scoring. Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers are doing better than the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and all these other teams you keep comparing him to and say, look how good they're doing. He's doing better than they are. We actually got a quarterback doing that well. It's just a matter of time. It's given time. He can do it for the entire game. Trucker Bob out. All right. So, um... My uh, wife had the genius idea of giving me some sticky notes. She didn't really intend for me to use it for this, but I have a glitter pen that I can't read my writing. Um, I figured I'd let you do that, and I, I scribbled some notes so I didn't try to forget everything that you had mentioned. Um, let's start going backwards. One of the issues I have is the idea that with time, all things can be fixed, and we know for a fact that's not true. Some quarterbacks are bad. So we can't make the statement, if given time, he'll be just as good in the first half as he was in the second half. If you remember at the beginning of the year, there were some things he was really, really good at and some things he was really, really bad at. And you say, more than likely, both of these are fluky, right? It's unlikely he's the worst like ever in these categories, and it's unlikely he's going to be the best ever in these categories. But if the bad kind of stays bad and the good kind of comes back to normal, he's a bad quarterback. And if the good stays good and the bad starts to get better, then he's a good quarterback. But there's no guarantee that with time applied, everybody just becomes good. Everybody just gets better. That's not true. And as I've already addressed with the second half scoring thing, I'm not going to look it up to verify it. It's been generally true. I don't know that it's still true to this at this point in time, but it doesn't really matter because the full four quarters paints a picture. And if you tell me that the second half is the best in the NFL, what does that tell me about the first half? And how do I know that with time applied, rather than the first half becoming the second half, what if the second half becomes the first half? We have seen some regression from Jordan Love. Things that he was doing well have become a problem for him. So it's not impossible that with time comes regression. The, the bottom line is, you know, you mentioned some outliers early on right? Hall of Famers that didn't have a great start. And I've already mentioned there's a couple issues. Number one, most of them were true rookies and you don't give up on true rookies, especially that were first round picks. The difference is Jordan Love is not a true rookie. Now I said coming into this that we're not going to give up on Jordan Love after a year. However, 
if he continues to play the way he's playing and we get a really high pick and Drake May or whoever, who, by the way, has just passed Caleb Williams in the consensus mock draft as the best quarterback in football, just to give you an idea of how far Caleb has fallen. But assuming the Packers view this guy as an incredible quarterback and they do see Jordan Love as, you know, we put all this time into him trying to fix these issues and they're not fixed after not one, but four years, I don't think it's impossible that, you know, he's not the guy. But again, you mentioned sort of the outliers, right? The outliers don't prove the rule. They are the exception to the rule. So it's 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 not true that, generally speaking, if you move on, you're going to pass on a Hall of Famer. That's almost never the case. It's kind of like saying seventh-round picks are generally worse than first-round picks. In fact, significantly worse. You know, like, really? You ever heard of Donald Driver? You ever heard of of Tom Brady? Those are the exceptions to the rule. And my statement will hold up over time. In fact, it does. It does, and it always will. Seventh-round picks, as a rule, are worse than first-round picks. Couple other issues. You didn't name a single quarterback in the 2000s. Not one. You had to go back to, what, Joe Montana and, and these guys in the 90s. Listen, we could say the same thing about kickers. If we start using kicker stats from the 90s to prove that a kicker who has bad stats is a bad kicker, that's a bad argument. Because back in the day, what is considered bad now was actually considered good then. Chris Jackie's uh, percentage of, of made field goals, he'd get fired in today's NFL. It's not the same. Terry Bradshaw was in a different era. I've looked at the statistics, and I have tried to find the quarterbacks who have had as low of a completion percentage. And by the way, career percentage, you're not going to find anybody. But try to find somebody in modern day with as bad of a completion percentage as Jordan Love, that's a good quarterback. They don't exist. And so I've never made the statement he can't get better, but I have put a time limit on it and said he has to improve. Because it's not true that over time everybody improves, and if you don't show improvement in a relatively rapid period of time, I don't know that I have a lot of faith. I mean, the way that I've always described it is, is to me, very straightforward. When we drafted Jordan Love, there was less than a 50% chance he was going to be a very good quarterback, just statistically. Over three years, we heard lots of bad from Jordan Love. It wasn't good. We heard bad things out of training camp. He's, you know, the, the footwork isn't there and all these things. The preseasons, despite the hype, really were not very good at all. The training camps from Jordan Love were not good. The game against the Chiefs was not good. And then we had nine good throws in the Eagles game, and it got us excited, myself included. Then training camp came around. It really was not very good. It was mostly bad, especially early on. He, he would pick it up in the second half or the second portion of practice or whatever. But very rarely did he have good practices. The, the, the preseason, eh. And then week one, two, three, four, on and on and on and on and on and on and on, were not good enough. And even in this last game, even if you look at it and say, hey, PFF gave him a, game, a grade in the 70s finally, as far as his passing grade goes, it's his first official good game. Maybe, but he still has not had a complete game. He has never had a good first half ever, as far as I'm concerned, ever in his entire NFL career. I'm sorry, but that's problematic. And so with every game, with every day, with every training camp practice, with every preseason that goes by, that he doesn't seem to be the guy that we need him to be, the odds that he's going to be that guy goes down substantially. And so the sample size of people that fit his criteria that went on to be great quarterbacks is extremely low. It's why guys like Josh Allen come up. But here's the problem. Every bad quarterback in the entire NFL 
the fan base rushes to Josh Allen to justify they're going to be fine. Look at Josh Allen. They're going to be fine. Look at Josh Allen. Justin Fields, he's going to be fine. Look at Josh Allen. The problem is Justin Fields didn't turn into Josh Allen. And neither did Mitch Trubisky. And neither does neither do 99% of the really bad quarterback that spend three years being bad. In fact, the only one that I'm aware of in modern day is Josh Allen. So I don't want to pretend like it's 50-50, like it could go either way. I mean, everybody's bad and then some of them become good. No, most good quarterbacks start off good. That's the reality. We've gone through that already. And then of the ones that don't start off good, I mean, what are some of the other markers? They, I mean, nobody that I'm aware of has the stats that Jordan Love has and went on to have a good career. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but we went from, let's call it 50% that he's a good quarterback. What are we at right now, if we're being completely honest? I mean, statistically, not not what our heart says. We have to be less than 5% right now. Have to be. Yes, it's possible, but the odds are just becoming really minuscule. And then you mentioned as being a teacher and whatnot, you, you tailor their strengths to the team. And to some degree, that's fair, but not in this case. You cannot go up-tempo all the time. Very rarely do teams go up-tempo. It's not a thing you can do 100% of the time. Also, one of the other issues is up-tempo increases mistakes from Jordan Love, from the offensive line, from the wide receivers. That's been a major problem, including, you have mentioned, I believe, the penalties. Those are going to go up if you go up-tempo. You also mentioned short passes. We cannot, there is no offense in modern NFL. There is none that exists and none that will succeed that eradicates deep passing from their playbook. If, if you're telling me that Jordan Love can su- succeed so long as we completely eradicate and erase the idea of deep passing, which will, by the way, eliminate um, what it is, number one, that makes offenses good in the NFL, but Christian Watson is, is borderline useless at this point. We can try him on a couple short crossers and see if he can take it to the house. If that's what you're telling me, then I'm telling you right now, Jordan Love has to go. We cannot reduce our offense to up-tempo, short passes, and run the ball. Everybody in the NFL is trying to figure out how to get the ball deeper down the field, more deep passing. Everything, even the run game is built on taking shots. We're, we're dabbling underneath. We're punching you underneath to get you to drop your hand so we can go for the knockout blow. Everybody's just looking for that knockout. We have to have a quarterback that can take those shots. Those are the kill shots. That's how you win these games. That's how, that, I mean, you, you want to talk about some of the older guys. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett Favre. How many times did we get engaged in shootouts and we just sat back and smiled and said, you want to get into shootouts with Brett Favre? You think you're going to get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers? Like defensive battles are tough. Shootouts? Bro, uh, we're going to win this 100% of the time. Jordan Love can't win shootouts. Not until he dials in the accuracy downfield. And obviously most of the passes are short passes. So so to say that we just reduce it a little bit is to say almost nothing because there's very few deep shots in an NFL game. So when we talk about tailoring an offense to a player, generally it's more minuscule type thing. It's not radical changes like 75% up-tempo and 90% short passing, which it might even already be that. I think deep passes are end up being like 13% or something at, at a high end, just guessing. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, right? Don't don't give up on them. Shame on you for for not believing. But I'm just I'm just going to be honest about the way that the situation is. I have a generally pessimistic view of draft picks to begin with because I understand that generally speaking, they're not going to be superstar players. That most of the first round quarterbacks that get selected are going to be guys that you try to replace, not because they got old, but because they're not good enough. Especially when you're talking late first round picks. And then again, you add in all the other data of how many years it's been. That's not a good thing. What we've seen over those years, that's not a good thing. What we've seen so far this ye- this season, which correlates to some of the problems that we hoped had been worked out 
over the three years and are not worked out. We can say don't give up on them without taking it too far and saying that it's incorrect to say that this is a really bad trajectory that we're on because it is. Now, again, I didn't really want to go down this path because I've tried to take a more positive approach to Jordan Love, which is he's grown the last two weeks. We've seen progressions from him. I do think that that's positive. Now, I'm, I'm very concerned about this Pittsburgh Steelers game, but it's also a big positive because if he can continue to grow in this environment, that's a massive step forward. And I've tried to highlight that as, as somebody that's been generally negative toward Jordan Love because I think that that's what he has earned, while always leaving the door open that, yes, it's possible. And the fact of the matter is, you can say that after five years of him being terrible. It's possible. It's possible. Yes, it's possible. It is possible. But everybody's kind of got a line to where you, you, you go from, I think it's going to happen to, I don't think it's going to happen. And, and most of us, and myself included, I think have crossed that line. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's a super unreasonable position that I've taken. Sorry to have disappointed you, Trucker Bob. I just think it is trying to look at things from the most statistically probable situation. And again, I came into this believing he gets another year almost no matter what. I think I said that at the beginning of the year, unless it's so unbelievably bad that we end up with a top pick, in which case Jordan Love must have been pretty bad. And on top of that, we're in in range of getting a top quarterback. That is the only scenario in which I could see possibly moving on and getting a quarterback. And again, we're not far away from heading in that direction, and I stand by that. If we are so bad that we have a top three pick, I think it's at least on the table. Now, is it possible we go on to draft a quarterback and Jordan Love goes to a new team, and in year five or six or seven, he completely explodes and becomes, you know, uh, Montana? I mean, I guess, but am I willing to take those chances? Yeah. I mean, it's possible Razul goes on to become like a, a great cornerback. Who is it? Like Calais Campbell become became like a premier player in like year eight. And I'm sure the the team that had him is thinking, oh shucks. Maybe it was the same team. I don't remember exactly how his career arc happened. But we're really just dealing with probabilities here. And if we get to that point, we're looking at it and going, what is the probability that Jordan Love is a success given the information that we have? And then what is the probability that Drake May or Caleb Williams is a success? And none of them are 100%. In fact, I'm not positive that either of them would be even 50%. Maybe we're, we're looking at 60%. But then you look at it and say, okay, let's say we got 60% for Caleb Williams. And we're at about 10% for Jordan Love. What do you do? Do you stick with Jordan out of loyalty? Out of maybe? Because yes, it's a maybe, but Caleb Williams is a better maybe. That's really the only question we're answering, isn't it? Which maybe is better? Which maybe is more likely a maybe yes than a maybe no? And granted, the alternative is maybe we get a premier wide receiver. And then what does that do for Jordan? Does that bump him up? How much? What if we get a tackle? What if we get, you know, Brock Bowers or whatever? But again, it's, it's, it's at least fair to say it's a discussion, in my opinion. All right, let's do, uh, oh boy. We'll do two more because we got two from, two Kyle from Madison's. Ryan, what is up, my man? What I hope up, you're well. Uh, it is Tuesday when I'm calling in, so I don't know when when this will air. But I thought it'd be kind of fun, um, since probably most of us are not going to be right in our preseason uh, record predictions uh, for the Packers. Yeah, I thought it might be kind of fun to do like a mid-season like uh, adjustment, <laughs> like a second a second guess maybe. Um, for what, cause I guess we're, we are, are we are at the midway? I guess it won't be like an exact mid season because there's, you know, what's funny. I'm going to cut you off here. I have a feeling 
if we did that, it would just be over-exaggerated the other direction? I don't know, because I think a lot of the callers are, are probably going to skew positive, but um, I, I, just, I just, as you said that, I thought to myself, you know, I think there was way too much optimism before. I think there's going to be way too much pessimism now. Like, it's going to be, we're going to win one more game the rest of the season. So, <laughs> and we'll end up somewhere in the middle, but I don't know. 17th, right? But after nine weeks or whatever, um, and what are we, five, eight? So it's been nine weeks. So I guess we're mid-season. You know, what's what's going to happen? Um, it might be kind of fun if people wanted to, like, give their record predictions now at the mid-season point. I don't know if I can do that, uh, but what I would say is if – well, let me put it this way. The Packers have certainly lost games that they should have won, um, and they've lost against teams they should have beat. Um, I think, you know, the same game, they should have lost that probably, but they did come back and win. I think the Falcons game, they probably should have won that, but they actually found a way to lose. So I kind of – that's kind of – all right, that's a draw. I do feel like possibly, usually every year, you beat a team you shouldn't beat. We haven't seen that yet. It'd be real nice if that happens here soon. What I'll say is this. If somehow the Packers can go 2-2 two and two this next four games, this next four games, then looking at the way their schedule finishes up, this is going to sound crazy. This is my hot take, hot take alert. All right. But if they can go 2-2 two and two the next four games, I actually like them being really in the playoff hunt. Because if they could go two and two, you look at that last, right. whatever, five games, uh, you know, that those aren't world beaters either. So that, I, I don't know that I could give a prediction on the record. I guess it would be eight or nine wins in that scenario. Um, if they could go two and two this next four games. If they can go one and three the next four games, I like them to at least get to maybe seven or eight wins and really be a pain in the ass to a lot of other teams. Um, so I guess between seven and nine, what we're looking at right now, um, it would be really key, though, for them to come out and beat these Steelers. I want to see them ride Aaron Jones all the way to a W, and I'd love to see one beautiful deep ball connection. Please, Lord. All right. Talk to you. Yeah, I mean, if they go two and two, essentially what that probably means is we beat the Steelers and Chargers and lose to the Lions and Chiefs. I mean, it could be some other combination, but what that would kind of mean to me is they're good enough to beat bad teams and not good enough to beat good teams, which is better than what they have been. But then that means they win against the Steelers, the Chargers, the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, and maybe the Vikings in the back. I mean, they they could essentially win out and get seven wins. Um, and then you mentioned if they win only one that you could see them winning like seven games. And I, I was kind of thinking, yeah, it's a little optimistic, but if they win one, they're almost guaranteed to win the Panthers and the Giants. So you mentioned they could win, you know, three or four more the rest of the way. I mean, there's three right there. We win one against the Chargers, the Steelers, almost guaranteed. We beat the Giants and Panthers. There's your three. And then it's a matter of, are we going to beat the, the Bucks? the Vikings, the Bears, are we going to win even one of those? And probably. So that would most likely be four. Um, and you, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You never really know how it's going. Why is this coach crying? Um, throwing me off, sorry. <laughs> Went back and listen. He's up there just swearing like crazy. You know, I got to be honest. I, um, I always say that football is like soap operas for dudes. 
I don't know why I'm not involved in college because there's so much more drama <laughs> in college than there is in, in the NFL, which is hard to believe, but it certainly seems to be that way. Anyways, uh, what the heck was I talking about? But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair way to look at it. I mean, anything can happen. Anything can change. If they win two of the next four, they're probably beating up on bad teams. Or they took one from one of the good teams, which says about the same thing, that they should win most of the games throughout the rest of the season. And if they win one, then they'll steal them from the ultra bad teams, which ultimately is not what most people want to hear because, you know, let's be honest, most likely going to put us at, you know, seven, eight wins, but we might slip into the playoffs. Who knows? I don't know. One game at a time. Tell you what, I'm not going to play Kyle's second call. It came quite a bit later, so it's probably not a part two, and we're getting a little short on calls for packing it after dark, so for, you know, last night. Anyways, you guys have a good rest of your day. Have a good game day. Make sure you enjoy it. Get you some food. I don't have a recipe for today. The heck have I had recently? I haven't been cooking a lot. I've been lazy. I'll just say this. Check out a hanger steak. That's all I'm going to tell you. Check out a hanger steak. It's not a very common cut. Find one. High heat. Grill it up fantastic piece of meat. Have a good one. Bye-bye.